Welcome to the Vine Podcast. And after it was just me last week on the podcast, today we've got the old podcast gang back together. So Rachel and Jason are both with me today. Hello, Rachel. Dambo. And hello again, Jason. Welcome back. Hi. It's uh, great to be back after a many week, maybe many month absence. Yeah, Jason's Jason's had a long and busy semester, and so we have greatly appreciated the work that he's been doing behind the scenes on the podcast. But we're we're glad now to to have you joining us again for for some conversation on this side of things. Yeah. And so today's going to be a bit of sort of a wrap up episode of of this series, the sermon series that we've been doing on on the life and the story and the family of Jacob. And it's kind of worked out to where most of the podcast episodes throughout this series have been connected to the series, in part just because there's so much material. And I've said it a couple of times that there's so much material, we couldn't get to all of it in, in one sermon series. And so it's worked out well to be able to explore some of it in this space as well. And so we're going to do a little bit of kind of wrap up today. And looking forward a little bit in the story is kind of where we'll go after this, because the end of our sermon series certainly didn't cover all of Jacob's life. There's a whole lot that happens after that. And so we'll, we'll do some very brief kind of looking forward. But as we said, this has also been the first time, I guess, Jason, that, that you've been on with us throughout this whole series. Yes, that's right. I haven't been on during the series. Yeah. So people have heard from me and Rachel quite a bit, but I thought it might be good just to get some kind of uh, reactions, kind of final thoughts, if you will, maybe from both of you about the series in general and kind of what we have experienced and and kind of felt and learned about Jacob and and the story through this series. But I wanted to start with you on that, Jason, since since we, we haven't heard from you yet. So have you had any just kind of thoughts about Jacob or things that maybe have stood out to you through this series of kind of going through his his life again? I've really appreciated this series because uh, it's definitely brought to life some nuances of Jacob's life and his story that I hadn't really considered before. Um, And so in thinking about, I mean, we've all grown up with the idea, uh, well, those of us who have been hearing this story our whole lives, kind of grown up with the idea of, you know, Jacob... uh, struggles with his brother and then he um has a father-in-law who seems manipulative and uh and and sneaky and uh then he grows up and becomes the father of many many children many sons and a very cursory knowledge of the story may just leave it at that uh and those sons become the you know the uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what I've appreciated in the series is digging into the, um, the details of his story and seeing the nuances of Jacob as, as a kind of troubled figure, kind of a problematic hero, if you will. Um, and, as as you were talking last week on the podcast and and as I was I was editing that episode one thing that came to mind was that there seemed to be this idea of you know Jacob is expected to be and act a certain way 
um, you know, he he's named essentially heel grabber, and and he's and he deceives his father Isaac, and uh, and there seems to be a, a a large amount of deception, and and even the the other people in his life, Leah and Rachel and Laban, and and even to a degree some of his own sons. There's this. Um, family history of deception and selfishness and um, manipulation and it but in some ways uh, I think the the story of Jacob is about how we play into or not play into those kinds of expectations how we adopt those as indicative of who we are or or not and at times uh, you know Jacob kind of falls victim to that but then there are other times um, when he doesn't, when he seems to, you know, he, he tries to be more honorable and tries to be more, uh, forthright and, and, uh, and in keeping with, with the kind of person that I suspect he probably wants to be. And that's a challenging thing for us all. And, and I don't want to get too much into that because I think there is more to be said about that, but that that's kind of what what i've been thinking about is how the story of jacob as it, as often happens when we get into the depths of a of a individual's life and a character's story um it becomes a lot more nuanced a lot more complicated you know people are not one dimensional people are never all good or all bad um people you know real people have nuance and um it's really easy to oversimplify anyone particularly people who you know lived thousands of years ago and are only documented in you know a series of stories that we hear over and over again yeah you know i think it's a thought that i've had a recurring thought that i've had over this series that i think i initially thought was going to be more that I would spend more time directly focused on in the series, but I, I ended up not really spending a lot of time with this point. But it's I've just been continually reminded of the fact that like these these are the people held up as like the 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 patriarchs of the faith. These are the heroes of of this story in in a sense, and and they're just flawed people who are wrestling with what to do and how to go about living and. And, and, you know, you, if you think, if you think about it, I think a lot of times if, if we were like writing our own history or writing the story of, of how something came to be, we would want people to know the best parts. Here's the good parts of our story. Here's how we came to be this, you know, great nation and this great people. And, and, you know, they say history is written by the winners, right? And, and sometimes that can lead to a, a skewed perspective of the historical record. And and I think it's important that it doesn't seem like that's what we have of these people. And and I do think that is a reminder of several things. It's a reminder of the ways in which God is choosing to work through broken stories and the ways that God is choosing to to bring reconciliation through these people. And it's not that like it's not that God needs these perfect people who are doing everything right in order for his mission to be fulfilled. 
it's it's that God is is bringing these people along and choosing to work through people who are still struggling and wrestling and trying to figure everything out just as we are. And so I think there's great encouragement in that and 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 I it's it's one of the things that I really appreciate especially about the Old Testament that you've just got it's just messed up story after messed up story. It continues in the very next story after where we finish this series where um where Jacob's only daughter, at least the only one we have record of, gets in in one version of the story gets raped. She gets defiled by a guy. Her brothers come in and then uh, avenge her her kind of being taken advantage of. And the whole story is just it's more mess. It's more sadness. It's more grief. There's also there's a little bit of cunningness to it that that maybe they got from their dad and that they go in and they basically they convince all the men in this town to get circumcised and then basically while they're weakened from that and healing from that they go in and just wipe them all out. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting and and uh cunning on one hand. But but I do want to I want to come back to one thing that you mentioned there Jason because you mentioned the the kind of the podcast episode from last week. And, you know, I had originally just planned on that episode, as I kind of said at the beginning, just kind of being a narrative bridge, because we were going to skip a lot of material between those two sermons. So I was like, well, we at least need to cover this material somewhere. I'll, I'll kind of add it in here. And I knew that I kind of needed a hook for it, though. And, and I came to that kind of the, the end of that pretty late. And so I almost wished, I, I think if I went back and redid it, I might have accentuated that part more. But that part that you mentioned that, that Jacob could have kind of more continually played into this image of being the the deceptive person but but what we, when we have that great kind of monologue of him going off on Laban Jacob is is laying out the ways in which he has acted with integrity and honesty and and we see his work ethic laid out that when you think back on his life, you can see him as someone who seems to have always had kind of, you know, a strong work ethic um, and, and been willing to, to put in work and all of those things. Um, and I almost began to see that conversation as maybe not only just years of pent up um, frustration with Laban, but pent up frustration, perhaps even with just the way that people in general perceived him. And maybe it's it's kind of a lifetime of frustration coming out of like, look, I've been trying my hardest. I've been put in difficult situations. I've been wrestling with these things, struggling with these things, but I've been trying to act with integrity. And and so I like that idea of that. And, you know, you kind of mentioned this. I like the way that you wrote up the description for that episode of kind of how sometimes we're tempted to, to play down to other people's expectations of us and and so I'm, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little more there about the ways in which, like, how do we go about cultivating a healthy self-image of ourselves that, that doesn't become too negatively impacted by the opinions, the expectations of, of others, whether those are real or perceived? Well, that's a good question. And it, it's frankly, like everything in life, it comes down to a, a balance um, because I do believe that we need to be mindful of how we are perceived by others. Yeah. Uh, because there, very often there is some truth to be gained from, you know, the, the outside perspective. I think the challenge, though, is in how we perceive the core of our person. So when I think about me, who am I? 
um, like if I strip away the roles that I have in relation to other people, which are not unimportant, I'm not saying we strip it away because it's not important, but because if I'm getting down to the core of who am I as an individual, not as a father, not as a husband, not as you know an employee of my business, not as a homeowner or as a renter or whatever, but as a as a core individual, who am I? Um, that needs to be something that I can be proud of. That it's not that I when I think about that person and that core individual that I don't see it as someone who is uh, you know bad or evil or fatally flawed in a um, in a kind of just catastrophic way but that I see good in myself which I interpret as the Holy Spirit living within me um, that I can acknowledge that God has created me and therefore I am good even if I don't always act that way even if I make mistakes and make bad decisions and sometimes act in ways that I am not complete that I'm not proud of that fundamentally at my core that I can see myself as a good person with growth areas as a good person who still has work to do, who makes mistakes, who needs to learn from those mistakes, but is fundamentally a child of God. And a lot of times in situations where we are met with a lot of discouragement, where we're met with a lot of um, uh, you know, people who don't see us that way or don't treat us that way, it becomes very easy for our idea of ourself to become not just influenced by those opinions, but to adopt those opinions mm. as our core view of self. Yeah. And in doing so, we tend to see, well, other people don't have a high expectation of me, so why should I have an expectation of me? Yeah. Other people, you know, if I, if I have a reputation, a good reputation for being trustworthy, for being honorable, for being respectable, then that might incline me when I might, might be tempted to not act that way. That might incline me, well, I don't want to damage my reputation. I don't want to be seen as this or as that. Well, if I already feel like I have a bad reputation, if I already feel like people already see me as as disreputable or as dishonest or as whatever the case may be well that incentive doesn't apply anymore and so it's very easy to say what's the use nobody's going to see me any other way anyway i i'm i'm going to be the you know the loser the um disrespectful person i'm going to be the distrustful person no matter what i do even if i act even if I do the right thing, people aren't going to see me that way. It's really easy to get discouraged if we keep hearing that message. And very often, that's what happens, you know? Um, you know you, I, I'm sure all of us can think of people who consistently make bad choices or engage in behavior or, uh, uh, or activities that are really not good for them to do. But sometimes part of that is... 
you know, they don't really have an expectation or they don't think anyone else has an expectation that they'll do anything different. And so I call that kind of living down, not living up, but living down to expectations. And what we see in Jacob is sometimes he fights against that. Like in the story you were talking about in the podcast last week with Laban is there was this expectation that he would be deceptive, um, but he was trying to be honest. And it, it, he wasn't always seen that way, but, but he at least was, was trying to, to do the right thing. And uh, I, I think that that's something we all have to fight against at, time, at various points in our life of, well, other people don't see me in the way that I would like to be seen, so what's the point? I'm just I'm just going to give up, and and I think that's, I th- first of all I think that's um, kind of dismissing the fact that God doesn't necessarily see us that way, that what really matters most is how God sees us and how we see ourselves. Again, it's not to say that how other people see us isn't important; it really is, but it shouldn't what be we do the with mo- that. Yeah, it's what we do with that and it's and it's how we are discerning about that. Mm-hmm. How discerning are we about other people's opinion of us? And I do think that there does have to be some discernment around what is valuable it, feedback for me for me to get from other people and what feedback might be tainted or not as useful as others. So like I'm going to take the feedback I get from the people like my wife, my kids, my my boss, my friends, if they give me critical feedback, I'm going to take that a little bit more seriously than some random person that doesn't know me that I might encounter, you know, out in the world. So I have to be more discerning about that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I also, I wondered after kind of looking at that story last week, just if, I wonder if Jacob came to see the, the dangers and kind of the, the hurt that deceptive behavior caused when he saw Laban's actions. Like, and does, right. does, does Jacob see a little bit of himself in Laban and say, oh, this is, this is the hurt that it causes when, <laughs> when people are deceptive. And, and, you know, I think there are some, there are some moments in Jacob's life that really kind of are obvious kind of milestone type moments. Like, you know, the, the, the dream that he has with, you know, Jacob's ladder and, and kind of some different moments. But I really saw, I really began to see that conversation that he has with Laban as something that that could have been a pretty pivotal point in his life and a and, and a moment where where he kind of maybe comes to his own kind of more defined sense of identity like wait no this isn't who I am this may have been some of my behavior at certain points in life but it's not my character my character is not someone who is deceptive i may have made some bad choices i may have struggled with always choosing the the wise or the right thing to do but this is who I am. I'm a person of integrity. I'm a person of high character. I'm a person who has acted honestly. And and so that comes out. At the very least, seeing it as this isn't the that's not the kind of person I want to be. Even if maybe I, I could make a case that that's who I am. I want to grow. I want to change. Yeah, I want I wanna, to I want to I want to be better that. than that. Uh-huh. Good point. Yeah, I was reading Luke this morning. Um, and Jesus says, uh, if you see your brother sinning, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And it just brought back to me what we talked about, even in our confession series of, I hope that I have those people in my life that are actually able to call me out and to rebuke me, um, when I'm sinning. And I think that what Jason is talking about is you take to heart 
the criticism of those people that are also seeking the kingdom of God alongside you. So when you know that they have the same goal, that the goal is holiness, then what they say matters. Um, If it's maybe somebody you're debating with on a YouTube comments chain or something, that's probably not going to hold as much weight. Um, So Those YouTube commenters are very bright. (laughs) <laughs> can't be <laughs> it Very does perceptive. matter what people think of us um because of witness and because of what jacob is called to be so the promise and the covenant made with abraham jacob's grandfather was that i will bless all nations through you you will be a light to the nations through you everyone will know that i am yahweh that i am god And so what happens when Jacob deceives and when his sons deceive in the story you referenced of Genesis 34 is that when they create this scheme of they get all the men to be circumcised and then they come and attack them and kind of enact their own justice, Jacob's response is, you have made me stink (laughs) to the parasites and the Canaanites, like the people around look at me badly now because of what you did. I am a stench to them. And so when our behavior is not holy, that harms our witness and causes us to have that bad reputation among people, which matters because of who we represent, because we represent God. So for Jacob, it mattered because he was a representative of the covenant with God. I think there's there's a flip side that's also true in that we need to be, as people who are called to be people of grace and love and mercy, we need to be willing not to limit or hold other people back because of past mistakes or allow for the growth in other people's lives when when they progress past bad behavior or past bad decisions. If if other people are striving to make this advancement that Jacob is making, uh, hopefully we are people who are who are walking beside them and and um, willing to see the potential and and the the newness that that is coming from their lives and, and actions as well, just as we're striving to do that ourselves. Um, but I just think I think that impacts not only how we act but also how we respond to the growth and maturation of others uh, as we strive to be people of grace. Because again, that's what we see God doing throughout all these stories, that, that he never just cuts these people off once they keep making bad choices over and over again, that he stays with them, um, he, he is patient with them and continues to work through them. And so I think there's a lesson for us there, not only in how we go about striving for better behavior in our own lives, but also in how we relate to others who are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I think there's a healthy rebuke from Jacob to his sons for what they have done, although they were avenging the defilement of their sister. But Jacob basically says, hey, our behavior around the nations matters and it's significant because of the covenant we bear. And so Jacob has gone through this process of transformation and maturation and understanding that God is his God. And that I feel like Jacob is starting to shed kind of that deceiver, sly fox character trait. And so he's trying to bring his sons along in that maturation process. Um, So 
it's it's still messy, but <laughs> it's good when when he's been transformed to try and facilitate that transformation in others and your sons and in those around you as well. Well, let's let's move the the story forward a little bit. That was um, looking back a little bit, and like I said, I wanted to kind of get y'all's perspective on that since since it was just me last week for one thing, but. <laughs> Uh, if if we look forward in the story a little bit, as I said, we wrapped up this series kind of with this reunion between Jacob and Esau, but but Jacob's story keeps going. We have that account next with with the story about Dinah. Um, then after that, I believe is when we have Jacob and Esau come back together again to um, to bury their dad. When Isaac dies, they come back together. Uh, but they bury Isaac. Then we've got kind of an account of Esau. And then really it sort of shifts in Genesis 37 where where Joseph now kind of becomes the main character in, in the narrative, if you will, which once again, we see family issues repeated where the whole issue that that is kind of makes everything else you know, kind of fall in line after Genesis 37 is that Joseph is the favorite son of, um, of Jacob, of Israel. And, and all his brothers know that he's the favorite son. And, and it's interesting in Genesis 37 that we're told that Joseph is his favorite son because he had been born to him in old age, which is, is an interesting sort of revisionist history almost to me. I mean, because if you go back and read that, I mean, he, he's the favorite son because he's Rachel's firstborn. Uh, that seems to be really the driving factor there. He's, he's the firstborn of his favorite wife. And, and so Joseph, Joseph, is, Joseph is the favorite. And that sets off this chain of reactions then where his brothers are jealous. They want to kill him. They eventually sell him off into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. It ends up in jail in Egypt, ends up second in command to Pharaoh, um, ends up saving all his family by bringing them to Egypt in time of famine. But then, of course, that just sets off this chain of events where after all those people are dead, the new Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, says, well, you know, what do we have all these people here for? They're going to, you know, rise up and overtake us. So then he is the one who ends up enslaving all these people, which is how the Israelites end up enslaved in Egypt. And so again, it's this chain reaction that on one hand starts with Joseph being the favorite, but if you extend it back beyond that, it, the, the dominoes just keep going back into all this story that we've been looking at, where it's Rachel who's the favorite, and Jacob was the favorite of his mom and not his dad, and you can keep going back and back. So we've got this issue of favoritism that, that keeps coming up that, that, that impacts the rest of their story going forward in, in pretty dramatic ways. But then even beyond that, we have the stories of, of these 12 sons of Jacob, these 12 sons of Israel, becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we kind of ended there a little bit in the, in the sermon that Rachel and I did together. But Rachel, I, I wonder if you can kind of take us from there um, a little bit and just what do we see in these 12 tribes going forward and and what impact do you think that has on the story and, and kind of leading us up to the coming of Christ? Yeah. <laughs> um, for some people who heard 
the the sermon that we did together and then you ended it with and these become the 12 tribes of israel some people's reaction was oh twist um (laughs) (laughs) so i heard some people talking about that afterwards and it is kind of interesting because i think that we don't always make that connection so the sons we have are reuben simeon levi judah issachar um, and then it jumps from Leah to her concubine. So that's Dan and Naphtali. And then that goes to Rachel's servant, Gad and Asher. And then you have Issachar, um, Zebulun, and then it concludes with Joseph and Benjamin. So those are the children of Rachel. So the, the children that actually become the 12 tribes from Joseph are actually Joseph's sons. So that's Manasseh and Ephraim. So there's still significance in their names in those stories too. Um, So Joseph becomes Israel. So I think that that's actually an important point to make is that we've been calling him Joseph all along, which means deceit. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Too many J names today. Jason, (laughs) Joseph, Jacob. (laughs) Yeah. Jacob has been called deceiver all along or heel grabber. And God changes his name. And I think that that's really significant to the 12 tribes becoming who they are. Because after this kind of wrestling with the angel, um, God says that you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name is now Israel, which means striven with God or striving with God, struggling with God. And that's basically the theme of these 12 tribes. So um, in Genesis 35, there's actually kind of a beautiful concluding story for Jacob, I feel like. And this is where God speaks to Jacob and he tells him, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And so Jacob obeys and he puts away all the foreign gods that he had, which is like, hey, why did you have those? You shouldn't have been having those. But he did. Um, And so he obeys and makes an altar to God. And he says that God is the one who answered him in the day of his distress and has been with him wherever he has gone. So I think that those words are really significant because of the covenant Jacob made with God after having that dream. He says, if you will be with me, if you will protect me, bring me back to my father's house, all of that, then you will be my God. And so I feel like this is this resolution moment where Jacob acknowledges, yes, you are my God. You did fulfill your word. You were faithful on what you said you would do. And so you've become my God. So he does set up this altar. And then, so this is Genesis 35. God appears to Jacob in verse nine and blesses him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob said, set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. So Jacob builds an altar to the Lord. So it's basically this cementing of the covenant, this conditional covenant he had made with God before now becomes solidified of, yes, you are my God. I know that you are God almighty and my name is strives with God. And that name basically summarizes everything that happens with the 12 tribes from there on. It's this struggle to put away idols, to obey God, to follow his law, and to actually be the people of God 
and live up to the covenant they had made and to be this light to the nation. So I feel like that chapter and those words pretty much summarize what's going to happen coming up. They're going to struggle with God. They will receive his law. They will even have wars with each other, like even amongst their own tribes, even amongst their brothers, they're going to fight with each other. But God is faithful to the promise where he says, kings shall come from your own body. So the line of King David actually comes from Judah, the son of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. Um, And even Jesus comes from that line, the ultimate king, the king of kings. So I think this is a really cool kind of concluding and turning point for the story of Jacob and what becomes of his family after him. You know, just a little side note about the sons of Jacob. I, to this day, cannot hear somebody read out the list of Jacob's sons without singing the song in my head from the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Could you give us a little? <laughs> really? It, it's it's like, it's just, you know, it's kind of like when you sing the books of the Bible in your head. It's just, there's a t- tune that goes to it. I don't know that one. No? You don't, don't know, know that? I don't know either. Oh wow! I think we've I think we've touched on this before that I've never seen that musical, Jason. Yeah, so. I haven't. It's either. it's okay. It's not one of the best, but it's fun. It's a uh, if it's not a Disney musical, fun. I probably haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't have a princess in it that lost her parents at a young age, I'm yeah. not familiar with this. I won't sing it, but it does go. <laughs> Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel, with Simeon and Levi in the next in line. Naphtali and Ishtakar and Asher and Dan, Zebulun and Gad brings the total to nine. Jacob, Jacob and sons, Benjamin and Judah, which leaves only one. Jacob, Jacob and sons, Joseph, Jacob's favorite son. Mm. Do they say anything about Manasseh and Ephraim? Because nope, those are they never, too. They, okay. No, they never came up. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the half-tribe of Manasseh in reference in the Bible, so... It's yeah, like I'd Ma- Manasseh and Ephraim make that. up like half of a tribe under Joseph. But you never hear it. Joseph is not referred to as a tribe. There's no tribe of Joseph. It would be Manasseh and Ephraim. Right. That is true. That's a good clarification. And after the exile, most of the tribes get scattered and lost. Um, and and so it gets, as as the Israelite story is wont to do, it gets messy and complicated. <laughs> the theme and, throughout, uh, though sorry, is that God is faithful. So like every promise that God makes to them, he ends up fulfilling. Every covenant that he makes, he carries out. And so the covenant that he made to Abraham of giving them land and blessing and prosperity and and a people, a great multitude from them, it does happen. And it happens through Jacob. Even though Jacob was this super messed up dude that we see has got lots of issues, but God fulfills his promise through him. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I try not to make too many sports references because if I didn't limit myself, I would just I would make sports references all the time, probably. But but so a couple of sports references. So before we wrap up with a quick question here at the end, one, since you mentioned kind of what what you think of when you hear these names, Jason. And if for those who don't know, if you haven't been on Zoom with Jason, Jason has a Houston Astros background on his Zoom all the time. When I hear the sons of, of Jacob listed, I get to Neftali, and as a Rangers fan, I have Neftali Feliz flashbacks of David Fries hitting a double off, off of him over the outstretched arms of Nelson Cruz in the 2011 World Series, Game 6. So that's what I think of whenever I read, read the story. Um, 
And the other thing that I've thought of several times over the course of this series is that I was also a huge Michael Jordan fan as a kid. And my favorite Michael Jordan commercial for Jordan shoes was this commercial where it's just him walking into the stadium with this voiceover of his own voice, like detailing all the times that he's failed in his basketball career. And he repeatedly, he says, I've missed this many shots. I've taken, I've missed this many game winners. I've had this many turnovers. I've lost this many games. And just kind of details over and over again, all the times that he hasn't succeeded. And he says, the final lines of the the commercial are, I've failed over and over and over again. And that is why I succeed. And I, I think that's sort of this great imagery for Jacob's story that like Jacob fails over and over and over again but he keeps going and he keeps trying and and he he prevails that's you know that's kind of there in the name change he he has struggled and prevailed or endured and and i think that's great imagery that that as we as we fail <laughs> as we try as we as we kind of go through life um, there's there's always opportunity for growth and maturation and it's kind of what we do with those mistakes and what we do with everything as we go along so I want to close I want to close with this question I'm going to throw a question at you that I didn't prepare you for because I thought of it as we were in this conversation so you may or may not have an answer we may could cut this part out but <laughs> So here's the question. We did, a, we did a podcast episode one time about like five people that we would want to eat a meal with. And so I want I to do a little bit of an exercise here to kind of wrap up our look at Jacob. And we'll do this kind of rapid fire style, or at least attempt to. If you could sit down with Jacob, like you've got an opportunity to sit down with Jacob, you're going to share a meal or Zoom conversation or whatever. Is there a topic is there some part of Jacob's life that you would most like to ask him about or talk about? Or is there a question that you would most like to ask Jacob? I would ask him, at what point in your journey did you really believe that God, the God of your fathers, was your God? At what point did that actually happen? Because we see him struggling with it, and then we see him acknowledging it. But I want to know, is there an event or like what occurred in him for him to actually say, yes, you are my God and I will represent you to the nation. That's a, you know, Warren, that's a challenging question. I always feel like if, if I have a chance to ask someone, you know, that, that I've heard of and, and know something about, you know, one question, I always feel like that's such a daunting thing to, to try to figure out. Um, it is. The whole episode with, Jacob wrestling with the angel has always been so fascinating to me and and mysterious and you know what did that feel like and was it I mean obviously if you're wrestling in the way that it's described in the Bible it doesn't feel like necessarily a pleasure pleasant experience but you know I have to think that it's it's more than just seeing a couple of dudes duke it out in a, in a ring you know that there's something else to it so what was he experiencing? What was he, you know, I, I have this image of Jacob as much wrestling with himself as with the angel. And I would want to get a, I'd probably want to ask him about that experience to kind of reflect on what, what actually, 
was he thinking in that moment or, or at that time? And in, after some period of reflection, how does he view that point of his life, uh, both in isolation, but also within the broader context of his life up to then? Uh, so I, I I would probably want to ask him about that episode and just what was that what was that experience for him? Yeah, I don't know that that's the best question to ask, but that's definitely the first thing that comes to my mind. I feel like that addresses one of the most mysterious events, if not the most mysterious event in the life of Jacob. So yeah, I'm down with that question. <laughs> I mean that, and that is entirely the reason why I want to know it because it's so yeah. mysterious. That is that is the reason why. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think as I was kind of thinking about it, I thought that would maybe that could be kind of not that. That's that's deeper than an icebreaker question, but but I think it is. It's the thing that I would most want to know from him for sure. So I think I would start there, and then if there was time, I do think I would want to ask him just about about his names, and because you know it's one thing. I think it's one of the things where it's difficult to look back sometimes. You know, because we can make guesses and we can kind of theorize, but obviously we weren't there and we don't have full you know immersion in the culture and so i would i would love to know like every time someone said his name growing up did he hear that as you know the deceiver is is that what he heard and and what struggles did that produce and and just how difficult was that for him to kind of not not see himself as someone who is you know defined by deception based on others perception of him or or perhaps do we kind of overplay that a little bit based on our our understanding of of language and culture looking back? Um, but then either way, like what does it do for him and within him once he's given a new name by God? And how did that have an impact on on the way he saw himself, um, on his connection to God, all those types of things? So I think think I would want to want to talk about his names a little bit. All right. Well, thank you all for, for joining me for this conversation, wrapping up our, our look at Jacob today. I've appreciated both of your, your perspective, both in our times and getting to talk in this space and, and in others, and especially appreciate you joining us, joining me for that sermon a couple of weeks ago, Rachel, and, and just all your, all your input. Rachel has had a lot of input into sort of the, the topics and, and themes of this series, and so I've appreciated that very much and enjoyed kind of getting to to work with you on that aspect of this series. My pleasure. So the next series that we're going to be going into is a, a series on the book of Colossians. We're going to be going through that next. I don't know for sure if if the, the podcast episodes will be as directly tied to that sermon series as they have been for this series, but I would be curious to know, especially from kind of our regular podcast listeners, if you have enjoyed having the podcast be so directly tied to the sermon material or if you would rather they be completely separate and 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 have different content because we've kind of done a little of both and so i would i would appreciate your feedback on that or would would be interested in knowing knowing kind of how other people experience that and and hear all of those things so we'll we'll close there for today though and jason you want to close us in prayer today our heavenly father we are Thankful for the uh, the forefathers that you've given to us, 
the patriarchs that we can look to, not only for the ways in which they lived their life for you, but also the ways in which at times they failed to do so. Help us to learn from their successes as well as their failures. Help us to see them as people who um, ultimately you are putting forth as an example to us, um, but help us to learn to see each other and you with eyes uh, that grow from, from their experiences. I pray, Lord, that the, the people that are listening to this have been edified, um, feel closer to you somehow. I pray that we, as we think about the kind of people that we want to be, that we consider a core self that is based in you and your love and your spirit in our life, but is not ignorant of how we are perceived by others. Allow us, help us to find that balance between some degree of self-assurance and humility that looks to you, but is also appreciative of the perspective of others. Give us wisdom, give us peace, give us patience. Uh, until we all meet again. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.